You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Today's episode is brought to you by Visa. Help support your local businesses, whether they're your corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops. Local businesses have always been on your team supporting you and your community. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at a local business and look for the contactless symbol in tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community. Because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. Happy Monday to you. It's not a victory Monday. It's not a defeat Monday. It's not a tie Monday. It's the day before game day. As it stands right now, the Bills are going to play the Titans Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And also as it stands right now, the Bills are going to play the Chiefs next week on Monday at 5 o'clock p.m. So adjust your schedules accordingly and um, make sure you don't miss it. Got a good football team here to watch and root on. So two big games here, one tomorrow, one next Monday, which are not the original slots for either team, but that's football in the year 2020. And uh, you may not like it. You may not think it's fair, but it is what it is. And no one's going to feel sorry for anyone. And these games matter a lot. Very important games in the AFC standings. Today, we're going to adjust our schedule. We're doing herd mentality today. Tomorrow, I'm going to do my leftover thoughts, chat with banged up bills, and give some predictions for the game. Wednesday, we'll recap the Titans game. Thursday, we are going to do our crossover discussion with Locked On Chiefs. And then Friday will be our comprehensive primer on the Chiefs getting ready for that game on Monday. So there's your programming. Make sure you don't miss anything. Subscribe to the podcast. But like I said, today is herd mentality. Let's get into it. First one comes from Buffalo Ceilings, who says, what's going on with Saran Neal? Is he a special teams only player at this point? I thought he would have a role when Milano was out, but he only played seven snaps against the Dolphins. I guess I thought he could have been an average big nickel or would have been a better option than Klein but that might be my bias against Klein because, boy, do I have a bias against him. So I think this is just kind of what Saran Neal is. I think he's a player that the Bills love to have around for special teams, but they don't want him to really play any defense. Um, He's only played defense in week one and week two. He hasn't played a defensive snap since week two. Last season, 2019, the Bills didn't have him play a defensive snap in weeks seven through 16. And um, so you're just not seeing a lot of them. The Bills have only had to make six special teams tackles on the season so far. Saran Neal has one of them, but he is absolutely a a depth player on defense that the Bills prefer not to play. And his real value comes on special teams. Die says, my question is around Josh Allen, as most things are this day and the improvements this year. I agree with you that this improvement has been constant, but I truly believe what most people are missing is that he's improved every game this season too. For me, the Raiders game was his best despite less yards and touchdowns. He looks cerebral in the past game, accuracy on tight throws gets better each week, and the number of stupid plays gets less. 
He seems to be correcting his flaws as we go, even with issues while throwing, uh, while scrambling to the left. In the first two games, he missed a total of three easy throws doing that, but since then, I've seen him take the time to set his feet and throw completing each time. It's this that makes me confident that this isn't just going to go away. The gaudy numbers will get the headlines, but to me, these fundamentals are the most important thing. Do you agree? Yeah, I really like what you said here. I think there has been really good growth from Josh throughout not only his entire time in the NFL, but this season. Um, I think you make really good points about throwing to the left and, and how he's rushed some of those throws early in the year and he had some bad misses, but that hasn't happened over the last couple games. That's a that's a really good uh, item there to highlight as something that he's improved upon. I think you know one thing I've talked about is the rushing stats, how he's been less reliant on rushing the football to be productive. And, I mean, really the last two games he has eight carries for four yards and three of those are kneel downs. I mean, he's a guy that's really getting it done with his arm. And, um, yeah, he's gotten better just this year. I, I'm with you. I think his accuracy has been more consistent uh, in the last couple of games. Really thought it was on point, really, on every throw against the Raiders. So, Die, I think you make a good point there. It's it's um, it's week to week even, even now, and, and that's really exciting. And it certainly inspires a lot of buy-in and belief from me that this can continue and that this is, you know, just the, the, the way, the type of player Josh Allen's going to be, and it's very exciting. Chris says week four improvement in run defense was scheme. Frazier and company stopped playing Oliver and Jefferson together and Phillips and Butler together. They realized they should stop getting cute and played each three tech and one tech in their natural roles. Question. Do you feel we can stop the Patriots and other elite teams running games without committing eight in the box? Well, Chris, I certainly hope so. Um, you know, in this, this day and age of football, eight in the box with regularity is going to get you killed in the passing game. So you better be able to at least neutralize it a little bit and uh, stop the run with six, seven guys in the box. You know, as football becomes more the way that it is today, you know, today's NFL, if you will, I'm starting to think that when you're on defense and you don't give up a touchdown, that's a good drive. You know, if they they just kick a field goal or, you know, obviously if they punt or have a turnover, that's great. But, you know, it's it's about limiting touchdowns and scoring touchdowns when you have the football. And, you know, you're going to give up some stuff in, in the run game. And I think you can live with that as long as you limit touchdowns. I think, you know, I don't know if I'm just being conditioned to, to believe that just based on the way the start of the season has went. But, you know, I feel like it's a win anytime the Bills defense doesn't give up a touchdown because right now – stopping teams is 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 a problem for everyone but uh, I think you make a good point there about the defensive line combinations and and that should lead to better success defensively and um the, the bills you can't commit eight in the box and and win because they're going to kill you in in the pass game so you better be able to bills in my veins ja17 mvp says after four games would you still pick Joe Burrow over Josh Allen as your starting quarterback? I appreciate this question. Something I was asked over the summer uh, was if I would rather have Josh Allen or Joe Burrow. And at the time I said Joe Burrow. And uh, boy, oh boy, do I sound silly. And Joe Burrow's played well. I'm, I'm really excited about the player that he is, the player he's going to be for the Bengals, the skill set, all those types of things. But there's new information here. And with anything in life, not just your football opinions, whatever you're doing in life, when new information presents itself, it should open that opportunity for you to change your opinion. 
And and given the new information this year about the player we're seeing in Josh Allen, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Josh Allen uh, and uh, very confidently take Josh Allen. And and that's not a, a slight against Burrow, who I think the world of, but Josh Allen is um, really inspiring a lot of belief in me that you know he's the next thing at quarterback in the NFL. Mark says. How do teams typically do coming off less rest like Monday Night Football when playing a team with full rest? And I'd like to hear your thoughts on if Josh Allen's first four weeks of growth are for real or if they may be fluky. I'm leaning toward it being real as he's progressed in all the areas you discussed on today's podcast. So a lot of different questions today about Josh Allen's growth, if it's real or if it's fluky. Um, I would point back to my discussion on Friday about Josh Allen's growth. And as that sample size gets bigger, right, we'll become more confident in it. I think right now I'm I'm trying to stay a little bit grounded. You know, I'm all in on Josh Allen and what he's doing this year, and I'm really excited about the way he's playing, and I'm, I'm very optimistic that the Bills really have something here. I think there is a piece of me that wants to stay a little bit grounded, to be completely candid with you. Um, probably me just being a little bit overly cautious, to be honest, but I, I do think that it's real, but I, there is that piece of me that wants to stay grounded a little bit. Now, as for your question about teams coming off rest, uh, there's a wonderful web, website called teamrankings.com slash NFL. You can sort data from every imaginable scenario by team and what scenario it is, coming off of extra rest, uh, coming off less rest after a buy, whatever it is. And so... Um, I'll give you the Bills numbers just so that you can have those since 2017 under McDermott. But if you really want to kind of get into this, go to that website, teamrankings.com slash NFL. So under Sean McDermott, the Bills are 2-1 and one with a rest disadvantage, meaning the other team had more rest. They're 23-21 and 21 with equal rest. They're 4-3 and three with a rest advantage, and they're 3-0 and oh coming off of a bye. Next one comes from Jonell who says, if you had to guess today – do you think Josh Allen ends up being the best ever Bills quarterback by the end of his career? Now, I think the big thing for Josh Allen now, right, is he's shown he can play at this high level. How does he sustain that? Not just week to week, but year to year. There's going to become more film out there on Josh Allen as he evolves because eventually Josh Allen's going to be who he's going to be in the NFL, right? We'll know the type of player he is. We'll know the full breadth of his skill set. And so once that fully fleshes itself out, coordinators are going to try a lot of different things to stop him. And, you know, when those moments come where Josh inevitably has a, a, a lesser game, can he correct those issues and make it so that other teams won't replicate what that team did defensively and still produce, right? Can he keep chugging along? I think he can, and the reason why is because I don't think he has any limitations. I don't think there's anything on the football field that he can't do, and because he's so capable of doing so much and he's playing at such a high level, I think that there's absolutely great reason to believe that he can be the greatest Buffalo Bills quarterback ever. Now, with that said, just like with NFL draft prospects, and I don't like to really like compare players to elite talent, right? I'm not going to compare defensive tackles to Aaron Donald or, you know, I'm not going to compare cornerbacks to Deion Sanders. Like I just don't do that. So I'm going to stop short of saying that I predict Josh Allen is 
going to be the greatest Buffalo Bills quarterback ever because obviously that standard is Jim Kelly, and he took that team to four Super Bowls, is in the Hall of Fame, all that type of stuff. So I'm going to stop short of that, but I will say confidently that he's 100% capable of it and how he sustains success and continues to you know, overcome the challenges that defenses will inevitably give him as more information about who Josh Allen is in the NFL becomes available through a bigger sample size, that's going to be the defining moment because I feel very confident in this organization to continue to make sure he has what he needs to succeed, whether that's coaching or talent. It's about him and making sure that his mentality and and a process and approach to the game stays where it needs to be and how he responds once those curveballs come that you know it's inevitable those those curveballs are coming he's going to have a bad game how does he bounce back and how does he evolve as a player you know that's going to be the defining moment there visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities whether there are corner stores our coffee spots or our favorite shops local businesses have always been there for us they remember our orders they call us by name always giving back making a difference and going that extra mile to support us and our community. And right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So now it's time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at a local business and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. Next one comes from Ed who says, I thought we'd see more of TJ Yeldon while Zach Moss is sidelined. What can you tell us about Yeldon and what he might add to the running game? I think it's a good question. And, you know, we know fundamentally the Bills offense wants to be a two-back system. They want to have two backs working together to kind of supply the running back production for the offense. And since Zach Moss has not been available over the last couple of games, TJ Yeldon has been active and really a non-factor. He's had a couple of different opportunities to touch a football. He's played fine, but he's not made much of an impact. And what I think this really comes down to is knowing what you have in Devin Singletary and him being your best running back. And because you're a pass-heavy offense and you wanted Josh Allen to carry your team and kind of ride that hot hand, that you want to when you have those opportunities to get the running back involved, that you want it to be your best player because there's not a workload issue. You're not overworking Devin Singletary. And so I think that's what it comes down to. I think TJ Yeldon is a very pedestrian running back, a very upright runner that I think is pretty easy to tackle. His best value is what he brings in the passing game, catching the football out of the backfield. And, um, you know, I don't know that he's really going to move the needle when it comes to prioritizing opportunities to touch the football. So I think that's what it comes out to. I think Yeldon's a pretty pedestrian player. It's a pass-heavy offense. There wasn't concerns about workload for Singletary, so give your best player the football when you uh, want to get running backs involved. Tyrone says, you and Bruce Nolan got me thinking about the draft, so for herd mentality, I was wondering if you could run down what you might do if you were calling the shots for the draft. I know it's early, but just based on your team needs, trade up, or maybe more likely now a trade down, the next couple of drafts are going to be crucial for the Bills. I appreciate uh, Bruce Nolan having me on his podcast last Friday, the Bruce exclusive part of the Buffalo Rumblings podcast feed. We talked draft. Uh, it was a really fun discussion. We talked a lot of team building stuff, and uh, hope you didn't miss it. If you did, check that out last Friday on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast feed. So my approach to the draft right now, 
is I think it's an important moment for this Bills football team, the 2021 draft, because you know, you're really going to take a hit here when it comes to available cap space. And we've seen Brandon Bean really tap into free agency over the last couple of, uh, of off seasons. And I don't think that's going to be the case this year. So with that in mind, you're really looking at the draft to replenish your roster, add some young talent, and get some cheap labor. I mean, really, you need more rookies on rookie deals to complement some of the higher-paid talent that's on this roster and the higher-paid talent that's coming as guys come off of rookie deals. You could be looking at paying Josh Allen $40 million a season starting next year. You know, I mean, there's, there's some real implications here in terms of guys getting paid. So there's some question marks that I'd like to know going into the draft that you we will know going into the draft. So this is a, an October discussion compared to a, an April discussion, but right now I need to know what's going on at cornerback because Levi Wallace and Josh Norman are on expiring contracts. And Josh Norman, I hope he plays great all year long, but he's still an aging player that doesn't have much left in the tank when it comes to a long-term answer at cornerback too. And Levi Wallace, we kind of know he's plateaued in the NFL. So both of those guys are on expiring contracts, and you need you need some you need a starter, you need depth there. What about offensive line? What's going to happen here? Daryl Williams is playing really well. He's a free agent after the season. The Bills' top options at right guard, Brian Winters and John Feliciano, are both free agents after the season. You got a situation where it doesn't look like the team wants to continue to roll with Quentin Spain as one of the starters. So now I have Deion Dawkins. I've got Cody Ford, I got Mitch Morse, and I've got two question marks on the offensive line. Depending on how that is addressed, it becomes important to figure out what you need going into the draft. And then obviously linebacker, where Matt Milano's going to be a free agent after the year. His contract is set to expire. Critical player for this defense. Obviously, a lot of nagging injuries, it would appear. Do you want to commit to him long term? If not, you're going to you're going to need a meaningful player right there, a guy that's going to play 100% of your snaps from day one. You know, Do you look to the draft to find that player? So knowing the answers to those questions really dictates what I would do in the draft. So I need to know, you know who's back at corner, who's back at linebacker, who's back on the offensive line. Do I want to take opportunities to add an X factor on offense? What about on defense, a positionless hybrid nickel defender? You know, there's a lot of options. So those are the things on my mind, and based on the way those things unfold leading up to the draft, that would dictate it. But those are the concerns that I have for the team heading into the offseason, which obviously spills into the way I look and think about the coming draft. John says, can we talk a bit about Brandon Bean's current contract? I feel like he is just as important in this rebuild and sustaining success going forward as Sean McDermott is. Extending him seems like a no-brainer. Why hasn't it happened yet? Is he holding out for a bigger deal or a better position, or have the Pagulas just not stepped up to the negotiation table? Any idea what's going on there? Well, I don't have any inside information to, to share with you. I don't know specifically why he has or has not received an extension at this point. I think we all know he deserves it. I think we're all rooting for it. It feels like a matter of time, but you know, as you saw Trey White and Deion Dawkins and Coach McDermott get done, you, you just kind of were waiting for that bean news to come, and it hasn't happened yet. I think it's probably just a timing thing. I'm sure there's been communication uh, about the situation. I don't think Sean McDermott extends for as long as he did without an understanding that Brandon Bean is going to be the GM that's in place with him in Buffalo. 
So I don't have any reason to, to believe that it won't happen. I wish it did already, uh, but I think it's probably a timing thing. They'll, they'll want to get to it at some point. Um, but I, I couldn't imagine a scenario where Bean's not extended for the long haul to go with McDermott. I think it's a timing thing. Landon says, Brian Dable has been an average to below average offensive coordinator for the better part of his career. How much of the offense lies with his sudden elite play calling, or is it more Josh Allen taking steps forward and making him look good? Well, I think Josh Allen does deserve a lot of credit for Brian Dable being on the pedestal that he's on right now and widely viewed as a surefire head coach next year for somebody. So yeah, Josh Allen deserves credit. The pieces in place that Brandon Bean has delivered for Coach Dable to succeed, like all that matters. But I think when you look back at Brian Dable's career as an offensive coordinator, he's been dealt some really crappy hands, whether that's been with Cleveland or Miami. You know, it's not like there was a whole lot working for him, and he didn't have like a lot of time to really get things corrected. You know, just as much as Brian Dable is going to be up for a head coaching gig because of the way this Buffalo Bills offense looks, it really goes back to what he can be as a leader for a football team. This guy comes fully endorsed by Nick Saban and Bill Belichick and I'm sure Sean McDermott. He's seen elite cultures at Alabama with the Patriots, with the Bills. He's seen Sean McDermott firsthand completely change everything for the Bills. Nobody's been able to win with with the Bills since the 90s. All of a sudden, Sean McDermott can do it. He's seen that happen. So it's just as much his experience in those situations and the leadership traits that he's surely taken from those opportunities on top of the offensive success that's going to give him a chance to be an NFL head coach. So I think all of that plays into it. And yeah, just like we give Brian Dable credit for Josh Allen being where he is, Josh Allen deserves credit for where Brian Dable is. Edgar says, it's been great to see the development of Josh Allen from being a raw rookie, to say the least, up until this year. The front office did everything they could to put him on the right path. First, they gave him an offensive line, gave him some skill position players, and the cherry on the cake has been Diggs. But what amazes me is the patience they had in the development of Josh Allen, something you rarely see nowadays in the NFL. This makes me wonder, what do you think would have happened with previous high-profile quarterbacks like J.P. Losman, Trent Edwards, and E.J. Manuel if they had had the chance to work with a front office like this one? Same question goes for Allen's classmates like Baker, Rosen, and Darnold. You know, I think Edgar makes a great point here in that the scenario that a quarterback enters into, especially as a rookie, matters so much for their success. You know, high-profile quarterbacks in the draft often go to situations that are bad. It's a team that's picking high in the draft for a reason, whether they fired their coach and they're resetting with a different guy or it's a coach that had a down year and has to kind of coach for their life. You know, it's, it's a flawed team. And so I give the Bills a lot of credit for sticking to their process, believing in Josh Allen. When they took him seven overall and traded up for him, they bet on themselves to develop Josh Allen. So far, that's looking like a really good decision. You mentioned some of those other Bills high-profile quarterbacks like J.P. Losman, Trent Edwards, E.J. Manuel. They certainly would have had a better chance under McDermott and Bean. There's no question about it. But those guys each kind of had their own issues that I think would have been limiting to their success no matter who they were under. 
you know, it's really interesting when you bring in the other classmates like Baker, like Rosen and Darnold. Is it as simple as if Josh Allen goes to the Jets and Sam Darnold goes to the Bills that their career trajectories are reversed? I don't know if it's that simple. Josh is a special talent. That That's easy. No matter where you, you stood on Josh Allen going into the draft, you knew he had special physical traits that nobody, and I mean nobody in that draft class, came close to. And so when you take skill and an ability plus habits plus a great scenario, a situation from coaching to front office to personnel around them, all those things working together, That I mean, all of that works together to see the product that we're seeing right now in Josh Allen. I don't think, I don't think anyone else had that high of a ceiling or had this high of a ceiling uh, than Josh Allen. It was just whether or not you were comfortable with him actually getting better at things that typically quarterbacks don't get better at in the NFL. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy, but with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the right treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Just go to GetRoman.com slash LockdownNFL and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Go to GetRoman.com slash LockdownNFL today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash LockdownNFL. GetRoman.com slash LockdownNFL. Need to tell you guys about Built Bar. This is the best-tasting protein bar on the planet. There's 18 amazing flavors, including six new ones that recently launched. Those are caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp, and oh, by the way, there's a limited edition strawberry bar that you got to try available only for a limited amount of time. All of these things are delicious. They're covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew, great for anyone who is health conscious, whether you want to lose weight, maintain weight, or just indulge in something delicious that is good for you, you have to try Built Bars. They're all low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for anyone on the keto diet. Go to BuiltBar.com right now. Use our promo code LOCKEDON. It'll get you 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Next up comes from Ryan who says, I was listening to your pod with Bruce Nolan last week, and both you and Bruce had some loose criticism for Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean with regards to the backup quarterback position. While I agree with your opinion that we have subpar backup quarterbacks, it's my opinion that the reason they didn't bring in Andy Dalton or Cam Newton is because of the added pressure on Allen. I think Josh needed to be the unquestioned number one. Could you imagine having a backup like Cam Newton if he were available on the bench last year after the first Patriots game? The media and fans would have been out in the streets demanding a change. That being said, we now have an unquestioned number one. I hear you on that, and last year is different than this year. And this year going into the season, I think I recognized how good this roster was. And the thought that I had, and I know Bruce and a lot of other people had, was, man, you'd really hate for Josh Allen to go down. And this roster being so good that the in, in the season's lost because it's handed over to Matt Barkley. 
And that was before we even knew how good Josh Allen was going to be this year. So, you know, that's what it came down to. I would have really hated to see the season just go down the drain because of the backup quarterback situation. And I, and I still feel that way. I still feel that if Josh Allen goes down, the season is just lost. And so, yeah, I wish the Bills had Andy Dalton or Cam Newton or Case Keenum or Jameis Winston. I do. Uh, last year, I think, is a different story. Um, I see what you're saying. And after that Patriots game, everyone would have been calling for whatever quarterback they had. So I, I see what you're saying there. Uh, but going into this year, I I, I feel differently about it. And um, going into the future, I feel very differently about it, especially Josh is the unquestioned number one quarterback, right? Especially if he gets paid this offseason. Then you come in and you know your role. And that's why Bruce and I both kind of settled on Ryan Fitzpatrick is the dream backup quarterback next offseason. Kyle says our QB2 concerns almost came to light against the Raiders watching Josh head into the locker room after that awkward play. I heard you on the Bruce exclusive discussing QB2 as a potential draft need. You guys also brought up the idea of having Ryan Fitzpatrick if they don't go with the mid-round draft pick. That would be awesome, but how's this for a take? At the start of the 2022 season, the QB2 for the Buffalo Bills will be Josh Allen's BFF, Sam Darnold. I think it's very interesting that you mentioned 2022 and not 2021. Because it is 2022, that makes it more interesting to me. I fully expect a team like the Saints, the Bears, the Colts to be in the market to go after Sam Darnold this offseason. So this is under the assumption that that happens and he fails and he's looking for a backup job. And if he hits the open market, that'd be terrific. I think that'd be a great pickup for the Bills in 2022. So I think it's a great idea. I, I, I don't hate it. I think Sam Darnold has some life in him, but I'm sure he's going to want to exhaust his options to be a starter. He's still a very young player. He's not been supported. I put very little blame on Sam Darnold for the condition of the New York Jets and really for the way he's playing. And there's a reason he was drafted number three overall. And I I am hopeful for him that he finds an opportunity next year to really develop and settle in because I think he can be a starter in the league. But if that doesn't work out, I think he'd be a very, very, very worthwhile project for the Bills to bring in in 2022. Kyle had a follow-up. He said, also, what is your normal game day viewing routine? Do you just watch the Bills game or have other screens with different games or red zone on at the same time? That's a fun question. So I watch the game every week with my brother. And when I'm watching the Bills game, I only watch the Bills game. I don't have the bandwidth to think about anything else. So no red zone, no other games. Now, I do have Twitter on, and I'll I'll keep it on a list of Bills people that I've created. That way I can keep in tune with different statistics and data and injury updates that come through. But uh, I'm locked in on the Bills game. Now, that's not true for any other football game that I'm watching. All day on college, Saturdays, I have three screens going. And I have the same thing going when it's not the Bills. But when it's the Bills, I am locked in only on the Bills. I don't have the bandwidth for anything else. And I don't have the emotional energy for anything else, to be honest with you, either. I, I really just I have to be dialed in on the Bills. And even when I'm watching three games at a time, I know that I'm I'm not getting all of the storylines. 
So I, I really love those opportunities when it's Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night to just focus on one game. Um, but when there's when it's uh, four o'clock and there's three games on, you know, I got to be dialed into all of them unless it's the Bills. So hopefully that answers your question, and uh, um, I appreciate the opportunity to share that. Uh, we also go to my brother's house. We we have lunch at like twelve o'clock with my family. Normally it's spaghetti or maybe once in a while something else. So we have a, a good family lunch, and then we are locked in on the Bills. Uh, whenever they play, usually 1 o'clock. Andrew says, I've heard you mention a few times now about the Bills getting the right defensive line combinations. I've always understood the need for offensive linemen to be cohesive with double teams calling out stunts, fronts, and blitz pickup, etc. Can you go into greater detail of what cohesiveness does to a defensive line? So it's a good question. I think there's two things that really come to mind and why cohesiveness matters. Number one is for the stunts and the techniques. A lot of times you're doing gap exchanges, uh, you're you're twisting in, you're you're looping around, you're running two man game with your teammates, and the timing and those types of things matters with that. Uh, and then number two, I think alignments. You know, figuring out who could play the one tech, who could play the three tech, uh, matters a lot. And I think the Bills were kind of massaging through that over the first four weeks of the season. So. It's alignments of where guys can win, and then also just the the piece of it where you're doing things that are in concert with other guys, whether that's a run blitz or a pass rush stunt. CND says, I agree that Matt Milano is vital to the Bills' success, but I've heard you more than once say that the best ability is availability. With his history of nagging injuries, how do you feel about this issue with regards to his next contract? Well, there's no question it makes me a little bit nervous. And it's a tough thing to blend because you see the impact. You you feel how much better the Bills' defense is when Matt Milano is in the lineup. And unfortunately, we've had enough opportunities to see him not in the lineup to know what it looks like without him. So on one hand, I recognize how important he is. That role in a Sean McDermott defense matters. He fills it perfectly. And he's a high-level player when he's healthy. But, yeah, it seems like there's always something with that guy. And it's disappointing because if you can't be available, then you can't help the team. So I, I guess I would trust the Bills to know the risk associated with continue with Milano, right? They, they've been around him. They know his habits. They know his body. Um, so, you know, I, I'll trust that if they commit to him long-term that they're comfortable with the injury history and what it could be moving forward. But it certainly gives me some some pause, and it makes me think maybe he doesn't get $14 million because I think that's that's kind of his ceiling, $14 million a season average annual salary. I think it could be more 11-12 because of it. Um, and it sounds like Matt Milano wants to be in Buffalo. He doesn't seem like an overly flashy guy. I think he's happy where he's at, doesn't talk a lot. I think he just kind of fits. So maybe that lack of real – pizzazz I guess with with him uh could could help the bills uh get him for a couple bucks less but it, it definitely without question makes me a little bit cautious about it but I think that's one of those situations I know it's kind of lame to say this but I just kind of trust that whatever they do it will be inclusive of this information and I guess I would trust that it be the right decision but it does make me cautious Christopher has a couple for us he says number one going back to the Rams game the pass interception and he has quotes around interception that turned the momentum of the game was one of if not the worst calls I've ever seen how it was confirmed by replay just baffles my little brain my wife put it perfectly it's the bills of course they won't overturn it and as we know she was right 
I may be biased, but it seems like we get terrible calls game after game. Maybe I'll start keeping track of that and give you my stats at the end of the season. But back to my question. How often do you think it happens that a ref blows a call, knows he blew the call, and then tries to make up for it later in the game? If I'm not mistaken, the same ref called that ticky-tack interference call against the Rams that extended the drive that gave us the opportunity to win. Maybe coincidence or maybe human nature to right or wrong. You know, Christopher in his email to me, he said, look, I have questions for you, but I'm not really sure that you can answer them. I'd just like to have your opinion. And so I appreciate you saying that because I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I've, I've never officiated. I recognize that it's probably a very difficult job. And I do think that there's probably some piece of you that if you knew you got something wrong, that um, you may want to try to make up for it. I have no idea what, what the truth is here. I do feel like I watch a lot of football. And as part of it, I do find myself saying that's a makeup call. You know, maybe it's just subconscious. You're thinking about it. Maybe there's just normal ebbs and flows of the game that uh, you you deal with, and and you're reminded of things as you watch games. But, um, you know, be, I do feel that way. I do feel that's true. Um, but obviously, I, I cannot possibly confirm it. I know that you know if you're a referee for a football game, you're probably a certain type of person. You're somebody that that thinks highly of your judgment, right? You're doing this professionally at the highest level, and, and so there's probably a, a big piece of you that feels very certain when you do make calls, although we all know that bad calls happen. And one thing that I've learned to accept in my life of watching football is that missed calls and bad calls are simply part of the game. And uh, it's unfortunate because I think we, we, we can have higher expectations than what we get out of officials a lot of the time. Number two from Christopher was the atmosphere that McBean has created around this team is unique. We have a head coach that is a player's coach, but with an iron will, there is no doubt who is in charge. But he doesn't—he doesn't do it through discipline and intimidation like a Belichick, Tom Coughlin, or a Mike Ditka. He does it through personal relations and setting and maintaining high standards. Maybe a bit premature, but Don Shula comes to mind. You have stated it before. This organization is quickly becoming a place that players and coaches want to go. So my other question is: How rare is it for players and/or coaches to pass up opportunities? in order to stay with an organization that they love and believe in. I know it's a business, but if, for example, we offered Coach Dable a crap ton of money for a three-year extension and made him the highest-paid offensive coordinator in the league, is there any chance he would take it? Yes, every coordinator wants that head coaching job. I get that. But leave the future that we have here for the hot mess that is Houston or the headache of the New York City press I would think padding his resume a few more years and being able to pick from a number of jobs would be quite enticing. You know, I think back to Sean McDermott when he became the coach of the Bills. And one thing that he talked a lot about was fit. It had to make sense for him. It had to be the right ownership and and alignment with his philosophies and how he thought things ought to be. And he wasn't going to take any job. And he really believed in the Buffalo job. So I do think that there's a big piece of this where – you know, certain people understand w- what they are and, and what they can bring, and they're not just going to go to any opportunity. Now, at the same time, he- NFL head coaching gigs are rare. There's only 32 of them. And these guys, like you said in, in your question there, is, you know, these guys are working towards um, getting to that level, becoming an NFL head coach. It's the dream. And you, you kind of have to ask yourself, well, you know, how do you pass that up, right? Even if it's, if it is, a headache like the 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 Jets or you know Houston who has no draft capital and and no you know it, it, no cap space. So I think about those things, but you know at the end of the day, you, 
again, kind of like we talked about with the officials, people that become NFL head coaches or are in that conversation are wired a certain way. They probably have a lot of self-belief, and they probably think, well, this is a bad situation, but you know, I believe in myself to get it right, and they probably step into situations that aren't great all the time. So you know, I think money probably speaks a little bit. I think that Brian Dable being from Western New York and his wife seems to really love the area and all that probably plays into it. But at the end of the day, if that guy gets a chance to be a head coach, I, you know, I just don't see him turning it down. All right, folks, that will do it for us today here on this podcast. Tomorrow is going to be like our normal Friday show. Assuming everything is on track for the Bills to play the Titans on Tuesday, our Tuesday podcast will be Leftover Thoughts, a discussion with banged up Bills on the injuries, and then, of course, my predictions for the game. Assuming the game happens on Tuesday, we'll react to it on Wednesday. So we're going to be talking Bills for you Monday through Friday. I don't know when the games are going to be, but I'll be here here for you each and every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So hit that subscribe button, rate, review, share the podcast, tell a friend about what we're doing, hit retweet on Twitter, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.